This is Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast, where we're talking about the five-issue limited series, Defenders, The Best Defense. Welcome back to Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast. This time we're discussing our spoiler-filled thoughts of the five-issue limited series, The Defenders, The Best Defense, where all of the original Defenders, Hulk, Namor, Silver Surfer, and Doctor Strange, get back together to form The Defenders one last time. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Yes, welcome back, fellow Defenders. I am one of your other hosts, John. Yes, like any good drink that has gone through several iterations, we are back to the original recipe. We are like Tab Original. Coca-Cola Classic, maybe? Or Coca-Cola Classic. (laughs) Or Pepsi Classic. Yes, the original Defenders have returned uh, to take their place in the centre of the Marvel Universe for this little story around our holiday periods. We're going to be talking about all of these issues individually, the same kind of way that we used to talk about our episodes of the TV shows. First up is our discussion about Immortal Hulk, The Best Defense, which is the first issue of this five-issue limited series. Then we'll follow that with Namor, The Best Defense, which is the second issue. Then Doctor Strange, The Best Defense, and Silver Surfer, The Best Defense, before finally The Defenders, Best Defense, which comes out on the 19th of December. We'll talk about each one of them individually as we go. If there's anything in the future issues that refers back to the ones that we've already covered, we'll talk about those in there. But there'll be no spoilers ahead if you want to read in that order as we go. Yes. So, fellow Defenders, subscribe to Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast on Apple Podcasts, in Stitcher, or on Google Podcasts. Or you can subscribe to our full feed of TV movies and comic book reviews over on our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com and subscribe through any of the subscribe links on the website. So, fellow Defenders, we're going to cover these issues a little differently than we usually do, uh, with just three points, mm-hmm. not five. This is radical departure for Defenders TV Podcast. <laughs> um, but the story, the artwork, and whether we defend the issue or not are the three major points for uh, the Defenders, the best defense, uh, and their single-issue comics of each of the four members of the original lineup. So we're hoping to keep these short entries in our comic book reviews, but they will be spoiler-filled, so make sure that you have read ahead and read the issues that we're covering. So with that, on to Immortal Hulk, The Best Defense by Al Ewing and Simone DeMio. And first off, um, to the story. Yes, yes. As John mentioned, the issue was written by Al Ewing. He's the current writer on the ongoing Immortal Hulk series. This version of Immortal Hulk was described recently by Rebecca, one of our friends for the podcast. She described it as, the Hulk is immortal, but Bruce Banner isn't. So if Bruce Banner dies, the Hulk comes out. So... Bruce Banner can be killed effectively in the daytime and then suddenly the Hulk will appear to take his place and then Bruce will be revived over time effectively. So they've gone for this real horror kind of bent uh, with the immortal Hulk in this run, which is quite interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's really good, actually. Um, and I, I love the fact that within this run at the moment, Banner has now died quite a few times. Mm. And we kind of get that a bit here within um, this comic where... We, we hear that the Hulk comes out at night. Yeah. Um, 
as kind of that reference to the fact that the there are these cycles or the Hulk will take the place of Banner sort of at defined moments almost, I felt. And mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting. But I, I definitely this is a really interesting horror filled take here on um the Hulk. And quite rightly so as well. The Hulk is a pretty frightening character. Um, so yeah, Al Ewing is also as well writing the finale of this series, Defenders the Best Defense. So, um, he has a significant part to play here with this, uh, this run of comics. And I really do like, um, how he weaves, uh, this story, uh, in, in the best defense. You know, we see Bruce Banner arriving in this deserted, um, town on the trail of you know he's not quite sure but he has the name steven on his lips mm. it seems uh like the hulk has brought him here to this deserted town yeah i like this kind of connection that the hulk and bruce banner have with steven strange you know they they've had a rocky road um in their history uh whether it is being banished from earth and um, whether it is hulk you know, absolutely smack down on Stephen Strange. So, you know, the the two, whilst they've been uh, in this team up of the Defenders, and there are even in the the current Mark Wade run that, that there is this talk of, um, you know, the Hulk coming and going from Bleecker Street. There is a difficult relationship here, and I like the fact that there's this somehow connection that has brought the Hulk to this town. Yeah, yeah, they, they do even reference that they are friends in some ways and that's what gives um, Bruce his impetus to go and find out what's happened to Stephen, effectively. Uh, yeah, the two pieces that you're talking about is, uh, that's World War Hulk, where he gets sent off to space by Doctor Strange and then he returns in Planet Hulk and takes his revenge on, so on Stephen. Good. Yeah. Really, really good. Um, yes, yeah, so, so you kind of mentioned that there is Defenders, the best defense. Is this the final story of Dr. Stephen Strange? We find the corpse burnt out of Stephen Strange with the missing Ayama Avagamoto uh, from his body there at the beginning of this story. So what we thought was going to be the big event where all four of our defenders get back together to defend the Earth from some unknown creature. Well, it seems like this is going to be the central premise of the storyline. Who killed Dr. Strange? You know, uh, it feels like something that might be set in the future, perhaps uh, bringing all of these characters together again. Quite interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to place this comic in time, especially when you read the companion second issue, Namor. Uh, it's difficult to place this, whether it is in the future, um, or whether it's in the current time and space, or, or where it is, because we do know that a Doctor Strange issue is coming out, so maybe it leads to this point. So, um, yeah, there's a few little, um, bits of information that need to slot into place here. Yeah. Um, but certainly it was really cool seeing this burnt up corpse of Doctor Strange with the eye of Agamotto, uh, m- missing. Uh, really good to kind of just see that, um, that image and go, Oh, okay. I thought he was going to be alive in this. Is he? Isn't he? I don't know. Yeah. Um, so really good. Really good. Yeah. yeah a nice little surprise. Absolutely. What a weird start. Um, like obviously other books that are going on at the moment. We have the Avengers book, which Doctor Strange is involved in. We have Infinity Wars, which is going on at the moment. We have the Infinity Warps, which we covered with Soldier Supreme. And we have the Doctor Strange run by Mark Wade. You know, all of these books going on where there's a live, active, Doctor Strange there, sometimes two in the Mark Wade run. Um, yeah, and then exactly. we get to this book and we have Bruce Banner walking in on the 
burnt up corpse of Dr. Stephen Strange. You know, what an interesting way to start the book with all of these other live active versions of him out there. But we do see Bruce Banner using his special skill of being in loads of deserted towns all across the US to be able to identify what where he needs to find the inhabitants. I love this. It's a real throwback to me. Obviously, Hulk is a book that I've read many times over the years, but I'm not a specific fan of the book. But it is definitely something that calls back to the TV show for me when I was a kid, where we have Banner going from town to town to town. He's done that over the years in the comic books as well. But you see him here going, well, I'm going to aim for the bar because that's where everybody's going to be. Even if there are inhabitants here, some of them might be in their homes, but I'm going to head for the bar as well. And then he does see some twi- some curtains twitching and goes to confront a member of the town to try and find out what's happened and what's been going on. Why is the entire town empty? Yeah, it's interesting that we kind of see here that a homeless man um, has taken over uh, a, a, the, the bar and has the Eye of Agamotto from the, the already dead corpse of Stephen Strange mm. uh, in a magic fire cast by a magic man. And he he's used this eye uh, seemingly just from a simple revenge point of view to punish the police officers from this town who have forcefully tried to remove him from the town. Um, and the eye has showed them who they really are and it has really uh, kept them under this homeless man's control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he tries to do the same thing to Banner once Banner is onto him. But Banner stirs down the eye uh, here, knowing exactly who he is and beats uh, the cops who effectively beat a retreat. Yeah, they do. But as we see, Banner staring down the eye, he does turn into the Hulk and stares down the vagrant as well, saying, I know you didn't kill Stephen, but I know who did. And I've known who did all along. And we have that final moment in the book where we see an astral plane version of, it looks like the vagrant appearing in the room. The only big difference is that we have uh, one eye covered of the old man that's in the room. It's quite an interesting image, uh, wondering who this is or how is the this vagrant who just happened to pick up the eye of Agamotto, how, how is he able to project himself on the astral plane? I guess this is going to be something that will, that will follow up in the next issues. Yeah, it, it's it's really interesting, actually, um, to, to see that. I, I actually do love how Banner suddenly gets this one green eye uh, really piercing. I know we'll look at that at the, in the artwork, but it's such a fantastic image um, as he's stirring down and kind of the Hulk is being drawn out of Banner through the eye of Agamotto um, and, and how the Hulk's perspective um, really adds to the knowledge of, of this homeless man. So really, really good. Um, I think the other interesting uh, part here as well that we have to talk about within this section on the story is the interlude. This is a really uh, interesting kind of departure from, Mm -hmm. from the main story. And it is literally, as it says it is, it is this interlude amongst the story of the immortal Hulk in this town, looking for who killed Doctor Strange after he's come across his body. And during this interlude, there is a worker uh, with a minor Rimworld dialect who is in charge of some very seemingly important workings who is attacked by someone with a sheet on their head, like, you know, that child's version of the ghost at Halloween. Yeah. And who stabs him brutally with a knife. You know, we have this brutal attack here where the ghost is kind of happy and laughing as he goes about his stabby, stabby, 
knifey knifey interlude. Mm. Um, it's not many panels. It's bang in the middle, and you're kind of like going, okay, how does this interlude work for this story? So it's an interesting interlude um, and a little kind of horror one, and I like that. Yeah, we definitely can't tell much from it. As you say, there's just the one page with pretty much no other information in there other than the minor Rim World dialect, which tells you it's in outer space. If you couldn't tell from the alien drawing that was there, <laughs> it is in outer space. Uh, but yeah, interested to see what that is and who this is. It does kind of seem like something really maniacal is going on uh, with that crazy laughter as he stabs uh, this guy to death. So let's see what happens in the future issues of The Defenders. That's kind of it for all the story for this issue. Yeah, let's get on to the artwork here. The artist on this book is Simone DeMio, who has done some work on the Old Man Logan annual for Marvel with Ed Brisson. Um, and the colorist is Dono Sanchez Almera. Mm-hmm. The cover as well is by Ron Garney and Richard Eisenhove, who have done all five covers for this limited series. And it's an excellent cover. And I think actually the artwork throughout uh, this Immortal Hulk issue of The Defenders is really, really good. Mm. I actually really like the sharp edges of, of the the art. I think it's really nice. It, um, it does kind of slightly remind me of almost a color version of The Walking Dead a bit. Um, right, yeah. But with a little bit of a finer touch to the penciling. I think it's really nice. I must say... I absolutely love this. And I think one of the most interesting aspects of this is the way intercut within this is the, um, the original comic artwork here that, that kind of plays to what's going on at this moment, uh, with Bruce Banner, with Hulk, his battle with the Hulk, uh, from previous issues of, uh, Hulk comics or the Defenders comics. So I, I, I thought that was a really, really nice touch. Um, and certainly it doesn't replicate within the Namor comic. So, uh, this seems to be very specific to this issue at the moment. Uh, but I, I thought that was a really nice touch. Uh, to the artwork in in this uh, issue. Yeah, really love that concept as well. I, I was trying to think as I was reading it at the time, I was wondering whether Simone DeMio was doing versions of the original books. But actually, if you see it in the credits, I missed it the first time I was reading through and I was reading it digitally. They are all actually reprinted panels from issues one to three and issue six of Incredible Hulk volume one. Uh, they were done by Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby, Dick Ayers, Paul Raymond and Art Simic. Uh, they do get the credit for those panels. So effectively, They've taken these little moments from the original run and put them in here in this book. I think it's a beautiful idea, really nice touch. And you can see how far the character has come and how how different the drawings are of Bruce Banner. But, you know, how similar the emotions are in the character and the things he's going through. I love that little touch, particular panel that I liked was where he picks up the gun off the ground and goes, um, and this is what you puny humans are scared of. And you have... Hulk in an old panel holding a gun and Hulk in the new panel holding the gun again. I think that's a really nice touch there. Uh, Also, the fight between uh, Bruce and the townsperson, or one of the townspeople, uh, I thought that was so dynamic and really brutal. It had that real violence to it. Definitely, yeah. Really nice uh, set of panels uh, of that fight between uh, Bruce Banner and, and the townsperson. Really good. That's the moment as well where you see 
that first hint of this bright, vivid green eye of the Hulk peering out from behind Bruce Banner, mm-hmm. which I think is really, really such a, a great image that they've captured here. And, and you get that again after he's kind of, after this fight, he's stumbled through uh, the town. I think it's thrown up and he barges into the bar. And again, we see this really vibrant green eye shining out from behind uh, Bruce Banner. So really nicely done. And again, I think the artwork is its just lush. I, I think it's really, really nice. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know whether there's any more I can say about it other than that. Um, I think it's really just so well done. It is. It is really good. And just to comment on that final page, the um, what we think is the vagrant or the eye, as he's being called by Bruce, uh, floating in what looks like an astral plane. That's really reminiscent of some of the stuff that we've seen in Doctor Strange over the last couple of years. So really specific kind of shot there. Um, perhaps it isn't the vagrant. Perhaps it is. I don't know, somebody else, but it just seemed really like it. And, and again, an astral projection in here in Immortal Hulk. Very cool. Very interesting. Uh, that's it for the artwork, the second point. So our final point, John, as usual, do you defend this issue, Immortal Hulk, the best defense? Uh, yes, I do defend this issue of the Immortal Hulk, the best defense. I give it four and a half burnt out strangers and a green eyed monster. Uh, out of five um, I really enjoyed this I think from the artwork it really had that horror vibe which I think comes from Al Ewing you mm. know from the skeleton of Doctor Strange uh, the, the the green trying to um, come through Bruce Banner in the form of the Hulk uh, and just how that motif with the eye is done down to just the intriguing story of who is this vagrant who is this astral plane vagrant why is dr strange dead isn't he supposed to be alive and who is the person playing murderous halloween in outer space it was just a nice sensory kind of read um it it took you out of your comfort zone it changed things up it was gorgeous artwork so I think this is a really strong opening for this run. Um, you know, I think when the Hulk is done well, he is done really, really well. And what you can do with the Hulk, I think is really nice in, in terms of that Jekyll and Hyde aspect. I think it's really, really good. Um, and I think, uh, for me as well, I like that kind of nod to that connection between Stephen Strange and Bruce Banner and the Hulk and that difficult relationship that they have. Uh, So great opening issue for this uh, limited series. And I'll ask you one other question. Would you read more Immortal Hulk or would this just make you want to continue with the Best Defense series? It certainly makes me want to continue with the Best Defense series, but also to check out more Al Ewing work. So I to look at the immortal hulk right yeah definitely um i am a massive horror fan um and i think the fact that he has this vibe about him in terms of how he writes and the way he approaches the work this this is really uh interesting for me so definitely uh i would read more of both the immortal hulk as well as this series excellent excellent so, Derek, do you defend this issue, Immortal Hulk, the best defense? Yep, I absolutely defend this issue. As you say, John, this is a really good start to this, just having the central premise of who killed Doctor Strange. That's quite an intriguing piece for me. I'm, I'm really excited to see. And as you say, 
when Hulk has done well, he's a really good read, and I think this has done really, really well. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really, really defended it. And I think I'd read probably some of Immortal Hulk as well. I'd like to try out uh, some of Al Ewing's other work with Immortal Hulk. If he's grasped the character so well here and sells him so well, it felt like a, a Hulk story here. And if he's done this character that well here, I'm sure he's doing him really well in the in the regular issues as well. So hopefully we'll try out some of that. We'll have a quick break and then we'll be on to our second issue, Namor, The Best Defense, part two of the five issue Best Defense series. Welcome back, fellow Defenders and, of course, Submariners. The second issue of the Defenders The Best Defense run is No More The Best Defense by mm. Chip Zdarsky and Carlos Magno. Um, so, yeah, the story, um, as I say, is written by Chip Zdarsky, and he's officially joined Marvel on an exclusive contract uh, for this year, and he's the current writer on the Marvel 2-in-1 and Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we spoke about Chip Zdarsky uh, on our Doctor Strange coverage when we were talking about that central page in Donny Cates' final issue of uh, Doctor Strange when he did that bit about Peter Parker meeting the spider and talking to him for the first time. Yeah. Really cool little uh, jokey bit for Chip Zdarsky. Uh, I've read a lot of his kind of humorous books, his kind of crazy out-there books, and this is a pretty serious storyline coming from Chip Zdarsky. I was kind of expecting something a bit more jokey, but it's following on from the events of The Avengers, uh, issue eight, which was done by Jason Aaron, uh, where Namor returned to the surface world and declared war. Here we find Namor speaking to the members of his council back in Atlantis, trying to drum up more support. I do love the arrogance of Namor. Now, Namor is not a character I've read that much at all, but... I've always seen this side of him before. And I love he's got this entire council around him giving him advice saying, we don't really want you to do that. We don't really want you to have, to have this battle. And he just kind of goes, well, your job is done. You gave me the council that that's what you're here for, but this is what I'm doing anyway. <laughs> yeah. It, it's kind of really game of thrones. Isn't it actually mm -hmm. uh, in terms of what he does? Yeah. I mean, again, like yourself, I know very little about Namor, uh, other than, um, you know, he was an original defender uh -huh. that he breathes underwater. He's a pretty angry guy, actually, or he always seems to come across as being pretty angry. Um, everyone's against him. No one's for him. He kind of doesn't get acceptance on the surface. Mm -hmm. He doesn't get acceptance down below, even though he is the uh, king of the Atlanteans. Um, and uh, yeah, he, he kind of is in this perpetual state of being really angry with other people. But he is this person that is trying to protect his world from the uh, external destructive forces, as he would see, um, from the surface dwellers. Yeah. But he is part surface dweller. So I, I, I must say, I enjoyed this on very much from just reading an Amor story because I don't get to do that very often, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. And so it was good to see him being his usual uh, petulant self. It was, uh, you know, good to reconnect with Atlantis uh, and, and to find out about his half-human heritage uh, where we see this connection um, and, and these memories back to him fighting in World War II uh, where, you know, he's clamoring for some kind of water because he's so dry you know he is literally 
this fish out of water yeah. at that moment. So it was nice to see that. But yes, certainly um, a very serious uh, storyline about building this alliance for war against the surface uh, dwellers. Yeah. I.e. us. Well, exactly. Humans. <laughs> exactly. It's quite hard to keep all this straight, isn't it? Even though we've read the comic a couple of times with all the ads that are out there for Aquaman and, and uh, it being in the cinema now, uh, as well, you know, it's quite difficult to keep in mind what's the separation here between Namor and Aquaman. They seem so similar when you see them side by side. I'm sure Namor fans don't feel like that at all. Um, but we know he's a member of the Illuminati. We've seen him in The Defenders before. Obviously, we've yeah. seen loads of different stories like that. But it does seem once every decade or so, he rises up against the surface dwellers. And this seems to be around that time right now. He's not a member of any of the big teams in Marvel taking on an extraterrestrial force or anything like that, which is what his position in the Defenders was in the past. At this stage, he's actually working with all the Atlanteans to take on the surface dwellers. So what's interesting that we see in here is that some of the Atlanteans are starting to question him. They're concerned about his half-human heritage and whether he can truly be with them forever or will that overtake him at some point? Will he be convinced once again not to go against the the humans and against the surface dwellers, which is quite interesting. Um, but he's trying to get the Vodans or the Vodani to join up with his forces against uh, the other invaders, I guess. And um, as you mentioned, John, there is that moment when he's trying to travel across the ocean to find the, the Vadani, where he's almost dying over and over again, but he keeps replaying this memory. I think it's when he's in the Invaders, is the one that he was in in uh, World War II, was the group that he was with. Uh, so he has some flashbacks at that time in World War II where he was in the trenches uh, in the middle of a landlocked country, yeah. battling alongside the uh, American army and not able to have any water at all. And he's kind of in the opposite situation here, underwater not able to get any air at all into his lungs and trying to survive. And this is the only thing that's keeping him going. I thought that was really good. I thought that was really yeah, good. Yeah, I, I did. I, I thought it was really uh, interesting. Um, I, I thought it was a nice touch that mm -hmm. even though he's underwater, he's because where he's going to try and find the Vidani, it's much deeper, it seems. It's kind of on the periphery of where the Atlanteans would go. Or even further past. Yeah, there seems to be you know, a tunnel that takes them through there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, it, again, it's kind of like a fish out of water. He, you know, it's a different part of the ocean. It's like the deeper depths of the ocean. Yeah. He's more um, higher up in, in the ocean, I suppose. Um, so I thought this was really interesting. I liked how it connected to these two, but he, he's almost killed through, uh, trying to get to find the Vidani, mm -hmm. uh, but is brought back to, uh, the Vodan by their leader, Ocken. And here we get to find out a bit more about this, this new race of Atlanteans, uh, that's been developed here, uh, within this issue, uh, where we, we get to hear that they are the original or were part of the original Atlantis, uh, and they don't want him or, uh, Namor's people involved with them at all. That, that separation has happened. I think they were driven out, uh, by the, the, Namor's Atlanteans, you know, they are kind of this mythical um, bogeyman that they use uh, in tales to scare their their children to some extent. That was the kind of feeling I got. Um, so, yeah, this was interesting. Yeah, well, that's kind of where the confusion is, isn't it? It's Namor's coming to them going, right, we will welcome you back to our community with open arms. You can return to Atlantis. You can return to our community. But Oaken's actually telling him, no, we're the originals. You're not the originals. You guys have just claimed that you are. 
we are actually the true Atlantis and we don't want anything to do with your people. Um, it's quite interesting that this kind of this battle that's grown up, as always, with the telling of history, effectively, uh, the history that Okun has from his people and with his people is that they're the ones that are in, or that are the rulers of the underwater space. He's the only king recognized is the way that he says it to, uh, to Namor. But he does give Namor, Namor a challenge. He says to him, if he defeats an attacker against their, their area or their city, uh, then he may work with them or he will work with them. We see Namor going up against this gigantic creature. I think it looks like a kraken to me. Uh, it looks like some of the images of a kraken that I've seen yeah. on certain yeah. bottle of spirits. Uh, if you've seen that too. Spice <laughs> kraken. Exactly. <laughs> or maybe Pirates of the Caribbean if you're not a drinker, perhaps. Um, but it looks like that's what he's going up against with another ally. He has Okun's daughter, Katal, is working and battling alongside him. But he, he is the one that wins the battle. We see her battling with him, but Namor, using his style and skills, is the one that wins the battle. But unfortunately, Okun is unconvinced and then reneges on the deal to join forces. He just turns him down immediately again. Yeah, and he goes to attack Namor, who then defends himself, but then... Angry Namor comes to the fore and begins to slaughter the Vidani all around him mm. until he is caught by Oaken. And, you know, there is this pretty epic battle as they move through uh, the ocean um, to the surface. Uh, and Namor here during this battle, you know, looks to use his greatest skill, which is the ability to breathe out of water, mm. of which Oaken cannot do. Uh, and so pushes him to the surface and out above the ocean where, you know, we get this fairly gruesome uh, selection of images where Oaken begins to seemingly turn grey uh, and, and begin to bleed from the eyes and from the nose and from the mouth. Yeah, because uh, what Namora realises is that this isn't Earth. He's not sending him outside the water into air, which is what he thought he was doing. Actually, he's going straight into space with this guy. He's taken Oaken into space, which is obviously a vacuum. There's no air there for even Namora to breathe. Namora lasts a little bit longer than Oaken, as you say. That is a pretty gruesome moment where he's looking at him going, oh, I guess... Um, his daughter is going to be a good leader for their, for their people now that he's gone. I think that's pretty gruesome. And then he goes, just a bit, yeah. yeah. And then he goes, here we are, two kings unable to share our thoughts anymore, unable to, to join together as he thinks he's going to die. But luckily, the cosmic board of Silver Surfer seems ah, to be yeah. passing by and it connects itself to Namor, turns him silver skin, just like the Silver Surfer. And then he hops on it and rides it away like you would see Silver Surfer. So interestingly, after two issues of The Defenders, The Best Defense, we had the Hulk ending off the first issue with the Eye of Agmoto, which is Doctor Strange's main prop, I suppose, or main um, item that he uses. And in this, we have Namor ending off with the Silver Surfer's board. So what we need to know is where the hell is the Silver Surfer if Namor's got his board? And is Doctor Strange truly dead if Hulk has the Eye of Agmodo. So there's only two members of the Defenders that seem to be alive and in good condition right now by the end of this book. But I think the thing here for me is that, you know, the the Hulk, the Immortal Hulk book seemed like it was part of this Defenders series, mm -hmm. uh, The Best Defense. Weirdly, and maybe it's just because I don't know Namor uh, as well as a character in the Marvel uh, comics, but this seemed to me to be a Namor story which by the end linked in to to this. And so to me, it, it felt like the, the story was a, a, a tack on uh, to 
ultimately those last couple of pages and panels were Namor gets the the Silver Surfer's board. Yeah, uh, you know, right. where he where he gets the cosmic board, or um, maybe the other way around. Those those three pages at the end of this book were attack on to Anamore story that's showing you where he got from battling the surface dwellers to having an adventure under in, in Atlantis or underwater. And um, as you say, you know, by the end of this book, the storyline that we have is him trying to get the Vadani to join up with him. It makes no difference in the overall scheme of the best defense. And he doesn't get them to join up with them and goes out into space and gets the board. So, yeah, there's no real reason for the rest of the story to be part of the best defense. Whereas in Immortal Hulk, it did give us some things to look at and go, oh, what's the central storyline for this? Who murdered Dr. Strange? Who's this guy that's taken over the town? Why is Dr. Strange's body uh, burnt in in this particular place? So um, this time, yeah, we just have that page. Now, they do include an interlude like they did in uh, in Immortal Hulk, a one-pager with even less info this time. Um, We see that the sheet-covered figure actually murders two non-humans this time with a knife, (laughs) runs away laughing like something from kind of like an 80s horror movie, you know? (laughs) It felt like something from Scream or from... Halloween or from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, something like that. It just felt like he was giggling away to himself with his uh, with his sheet over his head as he stabs two aliens for no particular reason just now. Yeah, again, I thought this was excellent, the interlude. I, I it, it made me um, <laughs> just go, oh, wow, okay, there's another one of these. Again, it doesn't really make any sense. It, it feels like it is exactly the same as the... The first interlude in the Immortal Hulk. I think it's a different scene with different aliens. Uh, I think this time there are two of them. Yes. So, um, yeah, again, I'm not entirely sure I glean anything much more from this brutal attack other than it is by the same person yep. and it is pretty brutal. And he takes great pleasure. Or he or she takes great pleasure out of these murders. Um, for what reason and for what end game it might be, who knows? But, uh, yeah, I like the interludes. I am expecting interludes in every comic book that I read now, uh, to provide us with a nice, uh, sort of way into looking at presumably the threat to Earth and for the defenders. I don't know. No idea. It's intriguing. No idea, but I'm hoping, yes, that they do keep the interludes up in the other two books in uh, in Silver Surfer and Doctor Strange that we have yet to read. Let's go on to our second point in this one, the artwork. Um, the artist on this book is Carlo Magno, who's done some work before on Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, colorist is Ian Herring, who recently worked on Luke Cage, the Marvel Digital First uh, Everyman, which was the six-issue series. Really, really good, actually. Uh, if you haven't read that Luke Cage series, the collected version of that book is actually out in comic book stores now, but you can get it digitally on any good comic book app as well. The covers, once again, are done by Ron Garney and Richard Asnove. Uh, as we said, they've done all five of the issues. So um, lots and lots of stuff that was, that was being done with the artwork in this book. We had two different underwater worlds separated. We had the Vidani and Atlantis. We have space. We have a giant sea creature. Uh, loads of stuff going on in here. What did you think of the artwork, John? I think what I really liked about the artwork here, and it's the... Uh on that excellent cover by Ron Garney and Richard Eisenhoff, but it also permeates through the, the panels by Carlos Magno, is this idea of space and the deep blue sea almost being very similar. And mm. um, this idea that man has been to the moon more times than to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. Right. That kind of thing. Right. So, I mean, that, you know, artwork cover... Uh, it looks like it is Namor shooting through the, the deep blue sea, 
or through space. And when you come into the story, you know, you see him struggling trying to get to the Vidani in that darkness of the ocean, uh, deep down with little specks of light here and there. And then you see him in space with the backdrop of the stars. Again, these little specks of light in, uh, a dark blue palette. And I, I love that. I thought it was really nicely done to show that connection between these two remote places for effectively surface dwellers like mm-hmm. ourselves. So I thought this was really nicely done. Um, and again, I, I, I liked the difference in style compared to, uh, the immortal Hulk. Okay. I, I, you know, it was nice to have this variety in style because I, I, I kind of quite like that. I, I, I'm a real big fan of the artwork of comics. And, you know, okay, you absolutely adore a particular style, but I also like to see different types of artwork. And, and this is quite a nice little vehicle of, of seeing, you know, different artists involved in these four, uh, books putting what they do best on page and just, you can compare the different styles. And, and, and I like that. I like that a lot. I think for a series, that's, that to me feels creative. Hmm. It does feel creative. Um, unfortunately, the artwork in this book didn't really work for me. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of it. There was a lot of stuff that was going on. We had, as I said, two different races going on, the giant sea creature battle. And I felt that some of the panels were just too much was in there. So it was quite difficult to identify what was going on. I had to read what was actually being written in the panels to understand what was happening quite a lot. You know, part of that, I'm sure, is coming from the fact that I don't read much no more books. So a lot of the tensions and a lot of the the political discussions and all that kind of stuff that's going on. I'm not used to those. I'm not, I haven't read those for many, many years really. So, um, so part of that was kind of just my unfamiliarity with the character, I suppose. Um, but uh, no, I'm not, I wasn't a big fan of the artwork in this book, you know, having panel after panel underwater just didn't really work for me. I suppose it's just not my style of book. Uh, it was the one I was most worried about coming into these books, I suppose. Um, this and Silver Surfer, I'm not, I'm also not a huge fan of the space books as well. So, uh, we'll see how that one grabs me when it comes out next week but the artwork in this book particularly um yeah i I probably preferred immortal hulk uh more to this one yeah i mean don't get me wrong i think of the two so far i absolutely prefer um the artwork from the immortal hulk it's much more aligned with my preferences or my taste in in artwork for Mm. sure this almost felt like a a much older school form of artwork actually for comics to be honest it, it really reminded me of 2000 AD almost, uh, it back in the seventies and eighties in terms of the style, um, or even Terminal Man, I think, um, uh, which is a, again, a British comic. Right. Um, it, it felt like that kind of era. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely enjoyed it. Definitely prefer, uh, Immortal Hulk in terms of artwork though, mm-hmm. for sure. Well, let's see, did that translate to your defend? Uh, do you defend this issue, John? No more the best defense, the second issue of the Defenders book. I do, but I only just defend this issue. Hmm. Um, I give this three sea turtles on a surfboard out of five. <laughs> and I think if I'm being totally honest, it's my unfamiliarity with this character. I do feel that I enjoyed an awful lot finding out a bit more about Namor. Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how he plays well with the other three members of 
the defenders in the fifth and final issue of this series. I'm not a big Namor um, fan in the comics. I don't read a lot of his comics. You know, for me, um, I have read him most in things like the defenders or with the Illuminati, you know, um, not as his own comic series. So that bad in effect is, is, is a bit on me. But again, it's, it's my preference, I think here. I really did though enjoy just connecting in with this character to, to see, um, you know, his, uh, half human, half underwater elements. I think that, that connection to World War II and the invaders really nicely done. As I say, I love that reference of the dark deep ocean and the isolation of the the deepest recesses of the ocean and to where we end up having him in space but i just felt as though we could have had that start i think for me i think the end of this comic maybe the last three or four pages could have been actually the start of this comic book and we could have taken it a bit more into the intrigue around this story of the Defenders, the best defense. This felt to me like the Namor book with a little tag on at the end that links him now into this series. And I think it should have been the other way around. And that's why I give it three out of five, ultimately. Right. Derek, do you defend this issue of The Defenders, The Best Defense? No more The Best Defense. I guess I do defend it. Um, I'm not an Amore fan. Uh, that's kind of where it stands. And as you mentioned, John, this is an Amore book. Um, while The Hulk felt like a Hulk book, it felt like The Hulk was doing Hulk-type things, opening it with him finding the body of Doctor Strange and ending it with him um, finding the Eye of Agamotto and going on his quest to find out who it was that killed Doctor Strange, you know, that makes it a part of a series for me. This book felt like they wanted to tell an more story about him dealing with other people that he's never dealt with before underwater. He deals with them, doesn't join up with them, and ends off in space somehow and gets the board of Silver Surfer. So is that really connecting it in with the best defense? I guess we'll find out if yeah. this comes back maybe in the fifth issue of the best defense of this big moment between Namor and the Vodani is something that is really important. Um, and that comes back in the future. Well, perhaps it was worth it, but it feels like this is probably the least essential one of the two that we've read so far. And I, I dare say we probably find given what we know about Doctor Strange from the Immortal Hulk book and obviously Silver Surfer losing his board, um, we probably find those other two issues are going to be more connected to the best defense than this issue of Namor. It felt like he stumbled across this adventure while on a different adventure kind of thing. So for me, probably a little non-essential. And in general, the only time I really read Namor and I've enjoyed Namor is what he is like with other people around him. So hopefully I'll enjoy his time with back. With yeah, the definitely. Definitely. Yeah. We're going to take another break and then we'll be back with the third issue of The Best Defense, which is Doctor Strange, The Best Defense. Much more f- familiar territory with Doctor Strange. Woohoo! Yes, it is Doctor Strange, The Best Defense for Magical Threats.
Well, our short break turned into a full week, fellow Defenders mm. and the Supremes. And we are back with the third issue, which is Doctor Strange, The Best Defense by Jerry Duggan and Greg Smallwood. Yes, this is the one that completely threw away our theories of the (laughs) first uh, issue of this series, The Immortal Hulk, The Best Defense. Yes, we know who that astral looking person is. So yes, we're feeling rather, rather silly but we were full of cold our brain was covered in mucus we were a little thick-headed uh weren't thinking clearly um and of course as soon as we saw it in this issue the the third in the issue of the defenders the best defense then yes uh, we realized how wrong we were at the end of the immortal hulk issue the first issue in this series so yes really Funny, interesting, embarrassing, but good fun. I love it when things like this happen, Mm -hmm. because despite trying to say we know so much, there are times when we're just caught out. (laughs) Very true. And the good thing is we decided not to release these as individual episodes where you, our fellow Defenders and our fellow Supremes, heard this a week ago and just laughed at us for a week. At least it's only half an hour ago (laughs) for you as you're listening to these episodes, right? Yes, well, hopefully there are no avalanches from your laughing uh, in this snowy, Christmassy time of year. And I think we should move straight on to this third issue of The Defenders, the Best Defense series. And just a quick reminder, if you've taken a little break, I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host, Derek. And dare I say, if you've taken a little break and it's turned into a week or maybe two weeks, um, you know, these can be digested with a nice, slow, Christmassy feel, uh, as this is our release for our Christmas period. Yes, yeah. Yes, the story, Doctor Strange, The Best Defense. Yeah, exactly the same way as when we're covering all the other books. We have the story, the artwork, and then our defense for this issue. Uh, this issue is written by Jerry Duggan. We talked about Jerry Duggan a couple of months ago when we were doing the Infinity Warps comic, um, Soldier Supreme, where Steve Strange and Steve Rogers were merged together into one character. And we both really enjoyed that story from Jerry Duggan, kind of looking forward to what he was doing on this. This seems to be kind of the the big one for us, because obviously it's Doctor Strange, who we cover quite a lot. It's written by Jerry Duggan and the artwork works by greg smallwood so um someone that we we know and we'll talk about in our artwork section but they really did bring together lots of people that we like into a story that is about one of our favorite characters which is kind of cool isn't it oh yeah this was really nicely classic doctor strange really Mm -hmm. um i think you know trying to save the world trying to save the universe trying to save his realm up against his big big bad yeah um yeah really enjoyed this you know this far-flung future doctor strange looking a little creaky a little wrinkled it looks like he's had a pretty hard day at the office here mm-hmm. uh you know the amount coming into his inbox has really turned his hair from salt and pepper into big long gray flowing locks uh yes and uh, he is the final defender, maybe even final human on Earth. That's mm-hmm. how we're kind of given this Doctor Strange. It, it really desolate, apocalyptic vision of a future Earth. Yeah, absolutely. You might even say that this Doctor Strange kind of looks like a homeless man that walked into a town in the West and was just <laughs> thrown out by the police officers there and then had to find the Eye of Agamotto and punish them, Um, maybe. <laughs> I think so. Yes, he kind of looks like a vagrant, uh, homeless man, but of course he's not. <laughs> Behind each one of those 
vagrants and homeless people, there is a story. Mm -hmm. And in this case, our vagrant is the Sorcerer Supreme. Throw one last throw of the dice to try and save Earth somehow with his fellow defenders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, we see here strange in this moment talking about the cosmic train, which has crashed against Earth, devastating the planet. That's why we have this apocalyptic opening and look uh, for effectively an attack by Dormammu and his forces. Um, And there's some really great stuff here with Doctor Strange's iconic villain uh, and bad guy, Dormammu. Really, really liked it. Um, I'm interested in this idea of the cosmic train hitting Earth and then that opened it up for the attack of Dormammu. I kind of like that concept that it's not just Dormammu forming a plan and winning against Earth, they also got hit by something that was completely out of everybody's control, uh, which is kind of what we see going throughout this story, isn't it? Uh, A really interesting idea. Um, Where we have Doctor Strange again, not only is he the last human on Earth, he's saying it's also about to end as well. The Earth is about to shut down and finish up because everybody's about to die. It's going to turn into another hell dimension effectively. So we have him kind of pulling out the final tricks he has to defeat his greatest enemy, Dormammu, uh, pulls an eye out of his own head to give the Eye of Agamotto a little bit more power and let him locate the demon and his spot. Yeah, I love that because, you know, he does say the iconic lines, magic has a price. You yeah. know, this is a huge kind of theme in, in Doctor Strange. Um, almost maybe uh, too well recited, but nonetheless, um, I like how this little spin, you know, this little price to pay is an actual part of the good Doctor, Doctor Strange, and it's his eyeball, um, which is kind of fitting as well that it fits into the eye of Agamotto yeah. to help him see the way. So and a nice little bit of symmetry there, I think, for this price. Definitely. And again, yeah, definitely my favorite line from the issue that there is a price to pay and I'm broke. <laughs> kind of a, a good little moment from the one of the richest man in the Marvel Universe to begin with, as we know, before he had his accident and lost his powers and then became Doctor Strange. He was a very rich man, but we have him here to his last. He has nothing left to give. Yeah. We even have his cloak that's been wrapped around him and protecting him for years. We have it becoming a kind of a magical scarf. Helping yeah, him really last good. Time. Yeah. It, it is literally his final tricks, you know, what he can muster, what he can put his hands to at that moment. Every last bit of um, magical enchantments, objects, and, and just his his nous and, and his cunning mm-hmm. to, to try and, and you know, summon the winds of Watum uh, and to use the Eye of Agamotto to, you know, find this final remnant of Silver Surfer's board, which we last saw in uh, Namor's possession back in in the previous issue of this run. So, yeah, all to hurtle him through time and space in order to go back to a previous time on Earth to prevent what has sort of come since uh, with this cosmic train that has crashed uh, against Earth, giving Dormammu an advantage to come and bring this dimension into his own dark dimension. There's a lot at stake here, and I I must say I just loved how uh, this plays out with this old, ancient Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? And the other thing he uses is the head of the Hulk, which has been carried around in his pack with them talking to him all the time maybe 
Wondering whether that might also be Stephen a little bit worse for wear. Yeah, going to lallies in his head. Yeah. But I love this. This is the way he's kind of used up the last of his magic is by changing the Hulk's power. He no longer feeds off anger. He now feeds off magic in order to get his power. So this is his power is to eat all of the magic. Dormammu throws all of his power at him exactly as Stephen expected because he's fought him so many times before. And that's what they use to kind of imbue the Silver Surfer's board again, is to get all this power together and send him hurtling back through time and space. Very cool concept, but very weird, very strange, obviously, concept. <laughs> yeah, like, first of all, I think, you know, Dormammu's forces, I love these kind of corpse dogs or, the you know, spawn, hell, yeah. the, the spawn, this, mm-hmm. the, these hellhounds that um, are total skeletons and then you know as doctor strange is hurtling with the silver surfers board to try and save earth you know he has all these memories flooding back mm. as as well and and he knows that by doing what he's doing he is going to um die in the process so he has to move to his astral form and not his physical form i love how you see his astral form sort of riding alongside as his body, his physical body is turning into uh, that skeleton that we see in that hut uh, in the Immortal Hulk. So this really ties nicely to that first issue, the Immortal yeah. Hulk. Yeah. We have all these these memories, you know, a goodbye from Clea where he refuses to help her. Um, you know, that moment where the two of of them kind of really fracture and and split away. Mm. Um, we also see his battle with Nightmare, where he loses, and, and that skeleton corpse, um, which looks very reminiscent of the cover of Doctor Strange issue twelve from nineteen seventy six by Engelbert, um, the, uh, the where he has battled with the Ancient One, and of course this is pure speculation. But in Mark Wade's run at the moment, we have the Ancient One returning. That's right, yeah. Seemingly um, a good chap, um, seemingly asking for Doctor Strange's help. But I wonder if there's a little coming together, a confluence of sorts uh, for yeah. the 400th issue where the Ancient One may not be all that uh, he seems. Who knows? Um as I say, that is pure speculation from my part, but it, it is kind of interesting that, you know, the Ancient One has been corrupted uh, in the comics in the past. You know, Doctor Strange has fought the Ancient One, so maybe there is a coming together here mm-hmm. uh, in some ways for the 400th issue, uh, at least around uh, sort of coalescing around the Ancient One uh, for the 400th issue, which, yeah. is, which is quite nice. Absolutely, I and I also think it was quite interesting that following issue to that one, issue 13 of the Doctor Strange book, was where Doctor Strange was the last survivor on Earth, trying to plead with the character Eternity to try and restore the Earth to the way it was before. This time he's a much more active character. He's effectively sending back for his former defenders to protect the Earth and, and stop it from being destroyed in the first place. We do hear a little comment from him where he says... The uh, cosmic train needs to be diverted off course rather than destroyed. And that's what will save the Earth in his arrogance. Apparently, Strange destroyed this cosmic train in the path, setting the Earth on this path to destruction. So interested to see how that will play out, most likely in the final Defenders, the best defense book, where it brings all of these uh, strands together, I suppose. Uh, One other thing we need to cover on this issue, like we have on the previous issues, the interlude uh, that we get in here. Um... 
Anything else we can gleam from another brutal attack from this alien? We get the sheet-covered figure back again, murdering a fourth alien this time, and laughing away. At this time, we hear Doctor Strange does recognise the alien. He goes, Mm. oh, that's... And then pauses and is distracted from his thought. Yes, that is really interesting, that he seems to recognise the person under the bed sheets having a right old laugh with himself. Uh, What we can glean is that this person is clearly a sociopath, taking huge amounts of fun and pleasure in stabbing aliens. Mm. Uh, Yeah, after that, I don't know. (laughs) I'm a little unsure, a little unclear, and I cannot wait to see who that... uh, Maybe it's E.T. It's E.T. It's the extraterrestrial. Maybe. His evil brother, his evil twin brother. That's the only, per- it's the only person I can think of at this moment from popular culture under a bed sheet dressed up as a ghost for Halloween <laughs> is ET. But I suspect it won't be. I suspect all will be revealed on yes. the 19th of December <laughs> when the final issue of this series gets released. Let's move on to our second major point, the artwork for this book. As we mentioned, Greg Smallwood, a very well known artist, especially to us and our friends over at the Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast. Uh, he did one of the biggest runs on Moon Knight with Jeff Lemire, uh, did loads and loads of great covers. Uh, Currently doing the covers for the Punisher run at the moment. Some really cool looking books in the Punisher run at the moment. I think it's up to issue five, which is coming out this month. Uh, a fantastic cover with the Punisher and Hydra agents all around him, or killed Hydra agents all around him, because this is the Punisher after all. Yeah, they looked pretty dead from <laughs> what I could see for sure. They did. John, what do you think of Greg Smallwood's work on this book? I really enjoyed it. I, as I say, I loved the, the Dormammu spawn. Um, I thought that was massively creepy, mm-hmm. uh, really nicely done. The panels, uh, as he is surfing his way back to uh, an earlier time, yeah, yeah. Uh, really, really nicely done. And, and coming back to see almost that kind of retro version of Doctor Strange with Claire and with Nightmare. Uh, really superb sort of references back to those that older sort of more traditional look of Doctor Strange. So I I thought this was really, really good artwork. I loved that he captured this solitary figure of Doctor Strange in this desolate world. It really spoke of loneliness, uh, with the exception of the talking bag by his size mm-hmm. and his faithful cloak now turned into a scarf. Uh, <laughs> it's you know, really good, nicely well uh, done, I think, here. And and then to see, you know, the Hulk's head and, and the kind of the, the mushroom cloud of green exploding over... Um, the, the, the final stand just before Doctor Strange flies off on, on the silver surfers or the remnants of the silver surfers, uh, board, uh, you know, in order to control a, a, and consume Dormammu. Uh, I, I thought it was really, really good. Um, yeah. all this different, uh, travels through other dimensions as well, uh, you know, massively Ditko inspired, um, particularly the one where it looks like he's kind of going through a, some dimension it's not the dark dimension but it's like the brussels atomonium which is that configuration of of an atom uh in brussels this huge sculpture that was done for like the 60s or something it's still there you can go and visit it um so all, all this kind of thing I, th- I thought was really, really nice. I know the done. page you're talking about. Yeah, that, that is that really good vista that looks exactly like uh, Disco. Yeah. It's, it's where his, uh, the body of Stephen Strange dies and his skeleton's left behind and it's just his astral projection going through the realms 
that I like the Ditko rounds. This issue was dedicated to the memory of Steve Ditko, who passed away this year, obviously, and helped create Doctor Strange. So it does feel right to have this huge double page spread of a Ditko inspired moment uh, right in the center of the book. Really, really cool. Definitely loved the artwork in this, in this issue. And finally, just one other thing, because obviously the cover here was done by Ron Garney and Richard Eisenhoff. Uh, what did you think of, of this for yourself? Yeah, yeah, really enjoyed it. Again, they've done all the covers for the book so far. They really look nice, all five of them side by side. Uh, if you've seen them without the, without the words on top of them, all five of the covers look really, really good. This one looks really creepy of Doctor Strange, and considering the contents of what's inside the book here, that he's not the cause of anything. He's the one that's going to save the world and save the universe by sacrificing himself effectively to get the defenders on board. It's an odd cover to have him so evil looking with his big red eyes on the front of it, but it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful cover. Definitely kind of stands out from the shelves in a comic book shop. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like it was really good, and yeah, I loved the kind of the the the, the glowing eyes. Mm. Um, yeah, looked really evil. Um, so I, I yeah, very interesting. Uh, it, and again, I think it'll be interesting how this connects in with um the the overall combined the defenders the best defense issue. Yeah. yeah. Um, this seems to me to be kind of one of the through line issues from the immortal hulk into that final one yeah yeah i think after the namor book which didn't seem to have as much of a connection this felt like the biggest connection back to immortal hulk and makes me really want to read the next one in that vein john do you defend this issue doctor strange the best defense i really do i give this four and a half salt and pepper surfers out of five um i really enjoyed uh, this book i like how it connected to the immortal hulk issue and um, it's a shame that the Namor issue didn't appear to connect other than maybe having the silver surfers board but we do get that in in this issue i love the artwork i love the fact that it was totally like blind probably way too under the weather filled with man flu to really appreciate that the astral form uh, that came to the immortal Hulk was in fact Doctor Strange, as we see here, mm-hmm. because of his uh, surfing through space and dimensions, uh, which ultimately destroys his physical form. I loved his, you know, ongoing battle with Dormammu. Uh, I thought his Hellspawn um, was fantastically done. So this was this was cool. I I loved the the Hulk head coming out of the bag. I loved his cloak being the scarf that protects him. Everything about this, um, as well, this idea of the loneliness of the Sorcerer Supreme was captured so well in this book and what he has to do to save Earth. You know, we, we hear this a lot from Stephen Strange, uh, certainly when he talks to other superheroes, other groupings of superheroes that actually there is always this price. And it's not just the cost of his magic where we have him taking a pretty uh, juicy eyeball there to, to pay for the last few final tricks that he needs to do, but it's the cost of loneliness. It's the cost of isolation. It's the cost of having to take those tough choices uh, to effectively die and, and to try and keep his form alive in some way and obviously taking the astral form in this case. So, uh, uh, yeah, really nicely told story uh, that I think connects into Immortal Hulk and will really um, propel into the the fifth and final issue here with the Defenders, the best defense. So I absolutely defend this issue. Doctor Strange, the best defense. Derek, do you defend this issue of 
Doctor Strange. Yeah, this is my favorite issue so far. It's, it's kind of an interesting one, isn't it? I feel like we've been covering all of the Mark Wade run, the nine issues that, that have got, come out so far, which are leading up to the 400th issue of Doctor Strange. What he's been doing over in those books is setting up the world of Doctor Strange, setting up the new normal for Doctor Strange as it leads into this big moment, this big historical moment for Doctor Strange. What it feels like in here is that we're hitting lots of similar beats, similar historical moments. We have moments with Nightmare, one of the biggest characters that we haven't seen in the ages. Yeah, we have absolutely. Dormammu out there. We have Clay out there. Things that we haven't seen in the Mark Wade run. So it is quite interesting. It felt like the greatest hits of Doctor Strange in a book right in the middle of this series of The Best Defense, which we're also kind of getting over in Mark Wade's run as well. So great to have Jerry Duggan on there. Greg Smallwood is such a good artist for some creepy, creepy moments in this book. And just to kind of line it all up, we're in third issue right now. What we had was at the end of Immortal Hulk, we had him with Doctor Strange's Eye of Agamotto. At the end of Namor, we had Namor with the surfboard of uh, Silver Surfer. And at the end of this book, we now have Doctor Strange. Well, maybe at the start of this book, we have Doctor Strange with the head of the Hulk and the Silver Surfer's board, the end of it as well. So each of the Defenders, while they haven't been on stage together or in the panels together, have all worked together in some sense throughout these books, which I think is quite an interesting touch. It's kind of crazy and kind of creepy, but I like it. So looking forward to seeing all of these characters together in the final Defenders Best Defense. But before that, we're going to be talking about the fourth issue, which is Silver Surfer, The Best Defense. Excellent stuff. Yes, we will be back shortly. You think I'm holding back? And we're back, quicker than a speeding bullet, faster than a surfer on a silver board. Mm -hmm. Yes, we are back for the fourth issue in this run, Silver Surfer, The Best Defense by Jason Latour. Yes, Jason Latour on both artist and writing duties this time, Um, getting both involved. That's uh, that's a new one for the series. Yeah, this is a a new way of doing it for sure. Um, Jason Latour has been working on Spider-Gwen for the last while. So uh, I suppose if you are uh, a big fan of Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse and Spider-Gwen, then you will certainly uh, know him from that area of the Marvel comics. And you'll know all about Spider-Gwen if you went to see the best movie of the holidays, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which was fantastic and featured a wonderful Spider-Gwen in there. Really enjoyed it. Excellent stuff. But onto the Silver Surfer. Yes, this for me, I have to say, was the toughest uh, of the issues, probably down to my uh, lack of Silver Surfer knowledge, mm. um, down to my lack of really following uh, m- much around the Silver Surfer and Galactus. Okay, I, I remember the Silver Surfer in relation to Fantastic Four, both ah. the movie and also... Um, like that storyline, which we get an awesome, uh, bit of artwork and an awesome bit of the story, uh, where we see the Silver Surfer remembering his encounter with the Fantastic Four and with Galactus and obviously around saving Earth. So, uh, I, I, there's elements that I know here, but I am very much in the dark with Silver Surfer. So there was a lot of stuff here in this issue that I was really having to try and just read, reread, 
read again, ask Derek. Derek was reading, rereading, and it was just like, whoa, you know, when you don't know a character that well, you know, a lot of the shorthand that maybe writers have is really difficult to follow. And this I certainly found uh, being the case in Silver Surfer. And part of me does wonder whether the other three issues prior to this have a bit of that failing as well with regards to uh, the writer's shorthand, you know? Well, we did say exactly the same thing uh, about Namor, that issue of uh, of the best defense. Uh, we have been reading these as they've been coming out and recording our thoughts before reading the next issues. But definitely with the Silver Surfer one, I had to reread the Doctor Strange book as well to find out that there was mention of this cosmic train. And that's what the central part of the Silver Surfer storyline that's connecting into the overall best defense book is. Um, there's lots of kind of mystique, mystique around Silver Surfer in this book. You know, he's covered for a lot of the books. So you don't know exactly which character he is. And you also don't know why he's on this specific planet. And you only find that, that out towards the end of the book. So while you're reading through it, trying to find some kind of connection with Namor and with um, Doctor Strange and with Immortal Hulk that we've already read, you're also trying to piece together a completely different storyline as well. So it does it does make it very different. You know, overall, in the history of the Defenders as well, Silver Surfer was the last member of this kind of sort yeah. of team to come together with them. The first team originally was just the three of them, um, Doctor Strange, Hulk, and Namor coming together for the first time for a specific reason. And then Silver Surfer joined, and then he left, and other members and other people joined the team. So over time, he's probably been the least... Uh, connected with the group as he's a cosmic hero he's one of the least connected to the earth as a whole anyway but he is one of the characters that i probably know least about overall but we did get some interesting storyline in here with them do you want to go into the actual story as we've been doing throughout the books uh so far sure absolutely i mean we have this distant planet uh somewhere in, in the cosmos you know and there are these scavengers kind of asking people to bring almost sort of uh, memorabilia, uh, items for trade to passage off this Dune planet where you get the impending sense that Galactus is here to consume that planet. Yeah. Uh, and you have the arrival then of the Silver Surfer, or Norin Raz, uh, who's visiting to try and find a way to stop this cosmic train yeah. uh, going into the planet. Uh, I, I mean, is this cosmic train... Galactus? Is that the cosmic train? No. Is it something else? You know, <laughs> no, it's not Galactus. He actually says that he's able to possibly stop this cosmic train as long as he's given enough power by absorbing planets and by uh, taking these planets, which is the constant battle between these two characters. The Silver Surfer, his herald, heralds the arrival of Galactus to destroy the planet, and at times Silver Surfer is the one that tells him, don't kill them, there are people here, there are people that can be saved or should be saved. So what we have here is this kind of moment with Rad on this uh, planet where he's deciding whether the people that are there deserve to be saved or not, whether the planet deserves to be saved or not, and even if they can be saved, well, actually, they were in the path of this destructive cosmic train that was about to crash through them, the one that was mentioned in Doctor Strange as well. So uh, it is a different entity, but you get this feeling that if we have any chance of surviving as a planet Earth that Silver Surfer needs to allow Galactus to eat this planet, I suppose, which is kind of a different story than we usually get between these two characters. Yeah, it is. And um, 
I, I, I suppose for me, yeah, I was just trying to make sense of all this. Yeah, and on, on his exploration of the planet, Silver Surfer does meet this character of Goldie, which does seem to be the daughter of Yondu, perhaps. There's kind of some uh, moments where she's flashing back to Yondu, who's using his weapons like he does, does in the movies and in the other comic books as well. This does seem to be similar to the movie version of Yondu, because we have a reference to Mary Poppins, for example, which is quite similar to the Guardians of the Galaxy version 2 or volume 2 uh, character of Yandu that we've seen. So there is some connection between the two. And he mentions that the path that your father went on wasn't the only path. Goldie seems quite um, angered about that. She seems to be annoyed that the only thing her father ever taught her was you have to make a difference and you have to contribute. And actually, Naren Rad saying to her, you can have another path here. You can also go out and help people if you want to. That's not the only path for you. Um, but he does save her towards the end. There's other people, other scavengers in this planet trying to get off the planet. And S- Silver Surfer is the one that saves Goldie and another rival who's being called Ape Man by the captain of the ship that are trying to impress so they can get off the planet. Um, but he's saved by Silver Surfer as well as Goldie. Goldie uses what looks like her father's weapon to kill him. Yeah. Which kind of leaves Silver Surfer with no choice but to go, actually, there's nobody worth saving on this planet. He does offer a way out. He says that the package that he's saved would get her off the planet. He just needed to know what was going on on the planet, what it, what it was that was calling the cosmic train to come through here. And it seems to be, weirdly, some kind of connection to Roxxon, the organization that originally were on this planet, that by the arrival of Galactus, it drove Roxxon away from this planet, leaving behind loads of stuff behind them. And that's what drew the cosmic train towards the planet. That seems to be the storyline that we're getting in here. It is very complex and it's very detailed um, to get into what exactly is that that tying Silver Surfer in with the cosmic train uh, and the rest of the best defense as a story arc. I'm sure when we get to the fifth one, bits of this that didn't make sense now will make much more sense when we get into the next one. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose for me, the link is really the cosmic train uh, and how... Um, the potential of what it can do uh, to planets, which we mm. have already then seen with the Doctor Strange issue of, of, of this. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it feels to me like the, in the more one where there is this touch point of the story that happens in this issue with this series. And in this case, it's the cosmic train mm-hmm. and what happens uh, that connects Namor uh, to the other defenders. As with Namor, it was the link to the, uh, the board of the Silver Surfer. I mean, in fact, I would say this probably has more connection because we've heard about the cosmic train in the other issues. Yeah. Um, again, why Namor would have the Silver Surfer's board here when in Doctor Strange's issue, he is using a, a fragment of that. So again, maybe we, we, we will see how Namor destroys that board or is it the silver surfer? So at the moment, I, I, I think, um, you know, this feels very similar in the vein of Namor, uh, maybe a little less so, which is that it, it, it touch points the connection with Immortal Hulk. Uh, and with the Doctor Strange issue, and we, I think we need to see uh, a little bit more with that final issue. We we also don't get an interlude here uh, in the same way uh, as we do for the the other issues. No, we have a slightly different one here because it's taken from the perspective of Silver Surfer. Now, again, not hugely knowledgeable about the Silver Surfer character, but what I think happens is as Galactus devours the planet. 
Silver Surfer gets some kind of cosmic powers from that devouring. And we see that moment where it's kind of described what's going on rather than actually shown that Galactus is destroying the planet. But um, the cosmic powers that come into Silver Surfer allow him to see a kind of a vision of the future where his fellow defenders, Namor, Doctor Strange and Hulk are teaming up with what looks like an older Goldius, the same type of race with the same um, headdress, effectively, that uh, that Goldie has. But she's got the silver skin of the Silver Surfer, and she seems to be in the lead of these four defenders. So maybe we won't see Norrin Rad's Silver Surfer joining the other three defenders. Perhaps it will be Goldie saving in future. Because there is another interesting moment where he calls for his board to come back to him so he can go and possibly save Earth. But it shoots off into the into the distance. Is the board going off to get Goldie? Is it going off to join Namor, as we saw in Namor's issue? Uh, but it's not coming to its owner. It's not coming to Silver Surfer in there. But as you mentioned, John, yeah, we don't have a an interlude page as we've had in the other books. In this case, it's actually a vision that comes to Silver Surfer here. Yeah, I mean, that was a really awesome uh, vision, actually. I really liked that, uh, where it has all of the defenders there and we have Goldie. Um, again, I was thinking of, you know, tentacles... Is it Sherman Gurreth, you know, the the one-eyed tentacled monster mm. that alters dimensions and so on? Maybe he's been threading a path for this cosmic train so that it hits Earth in a particular way. I mean, who knows? Uh, so, uh, yes. Except, except this creature that's been laughing underneath the um, bedsheet, as we've been joking about, uh, is in a humanoid form, which uh, Sherman Gurreth usually exactly. isn't. Um, but it is very tentacled. It did look very interesting in that one little... A panel that we saw where he's seeing another murder take place, a laughing uh, creature, but now this time with just tentacles reaching out. So once again, still don't know who this enemy is. Um, there's another enemy that seems to be battling the defenders as well, carrying a huge kind of Ronan-like axe in his hand. So not sure whether they're the same people even. No, exa- yes. yeah, so. exactly. It could be just different... Maybe it's multiple threats here that mm-hmm. we, we're still to, to find out. Maybe an entire train load of threats is on its way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I do think that, um, the, this fifth issue has a lot of work to do because again, it's even, you know, the, as you said, the Silver Surfer, you know, he calls his board, but does it go off to me sort of with no more that we see him catch, uh, that board train and, and he himself turns into, that ma- that metallic look of the silver surfer yeah. but then we see goldie as well uh to have that look yeah. in, in the vision but also you know with doctor strange how has he this fragment that allows him to shoot through is that coming from the more is this just unrelated so well i think as we know obviously doctor strange was set so far in the future it was set possibly even millennia in the future. Um, Dr. Strange has kept himself alive as the last human. So possibly the board that he has is just the last remnants of Silver Surfer's board that have survived years and years and years and years gone by, you know? Um, I, I don't know what's happened since Namor got the board, but yeah, hopefully we're going to see that in issue five. Yeah, no, ex- exactly. But I think onto the artwork here, because mm. certainly for me... um the artwork was a comforting blanket that I could appreciate uh, from this issue. Uh, there is a fantastic panel of the Silver Surfer, um, full page, uh, splash page, uh, with, you know, him remembering different moments from his past. In particular, one of the times he meets 
the Fantastic Four, mm. you know, Galactus there looking to devour the Earth and his interactions all kind of going on uh, around the form of his his body. Really, really enjoyed that. And yeah. um, I think the whole vision that he sees of the Defenders there with Goldie somehow um, metalled up as well. I thought that was really, really nice. And again, I I think a lot of uh, the the images within um, the artwork here of Galactus were really kind of epic feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that idea of this this huge uh, planet eating entity who is heralded by the Silver Surfer, um, really really good. So I I did enjoy the artwork here. I found I liked it less when it was with the scavengers and the ape man from Roxon and Goldie, it, it felt a little, um, kind of weird, but certainly, um, I thought the, the more epic panels in this, it, that's where this artwork really came into its own. Uh, and I absolutely, uh, loved it to be honest. And I think again, another really good cover by Ron Garney and Richard Eisenhoff, you know, this is, just fantastically dynamic having the silver surfer on his board you know almost coming out of the the issue uh so so good um so i i really enjoyed that it is that classic image of how the silver surfer rides his board derek what did you think of the artwork yeah, I'd probably go kind of for the 70-30 rule on this one. Sometimes a comic book, it's the artwork that make you love it, and other times it's the it's the writing. This time, yeah, the confusion that I had in the writing probably was much less enjoyable, so having some fantastic splash pages, having some beautiful artwork in there was really helpful to me when we had the space interaction between uh, Galactus and Silver Surfer. Some epic little moments in there, really like those. Uh, some really good artwork. I'm really intrigued to see what Jason Latour is doing Uh in other books in future, but um, for the actual storyline itself, yeah, I think I had that's where I had my problems probably. Um, in that case, again, John, do you defend this issue, Silver Surfer, the best defense? Um, I, I think like the Namor issue. Um, again, uh, hopefully, Silver Surfer lovers uh, won't be hating me for this, but um, I do just defend uh, this um, because of the touch point, and I think because of the art, I'd, and I, I think it's. Um, Again, I think it's similar vein to Namor for me, but I'd give this three cosmic trains to nowhere out of five. And I, I, I think for me, the storyline, um, really, I just don't know this character. And so in many respects, that's my bad, but I do think when you do team up a series, do you know what would be really good? And I think you mentioned this, Derek. And again, I think this might be something that is also relevant for the Immortal Hulk and for the Doctor Strange issues, because that's the thing. You know, I'm there, Derek's there going, oh yeah, okay, we get, we get this. We get these touch points from the Doctor Strange, but that's because we're fans, you know, or we know more about that character, whatever it might be. The, the issue for Namor for Silver Surfer is we know less about those characters. So sometimes, you know, we kind of need that Stan Lee uh, effect where there's the little asterisk which says, you know, go to issue number duh, 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 to find out more about what happened here. Because there are some moments where you're just going, I really don't know what's happening here. Um, or just a bit more introduction to that character 
in the prologue of of the comic book where yeah, you get the was, written text. Yeah, I think this one was like two lines long for Silver Surfer. And I know he has huge amounts of history. I don't know why people don't like to do it now anymore. The, the artists seem to be avoiding it. I've noticed it in other books as well, where especially on Doctor Strange, where we've been yeah. talking about, you know, uh, we're trying to find where they're talking about certain potions he's using or certain magical arts that he's using or even characters that he's using. We're trying to find those. And you're kind of going, this is what... Stanley used to be so good at and other editors in Marvel used to be so good at they'd basically write it on the bottom because they're salesmen at the end of the day and in these days of digital what you want is effectively to go oh what's that book about click there buy it and read it which is what you have to do but I don't know whether some of this stuff was talked about in other books before I don't know what's a good book for Silver Surfer to to read so I can get up to speed as to what exactly his um, abilities are and what exactly he's doing on this planet. But uh, yeah, I think a couple of little liner notes when the characters are less well known for me anyway uh, would be really helpful. Yeah, I, I think that would be a really good idea. But for me, I love the artwork. I do defend this uh, be- because of the artwork and I think the touch point uh with the silver surfer and the other defenders that he has you know that vision um but it but it is a tough one it's a tough one to get into um and so that's why i i just about defend uh this issue of the defenders the best defense mm-hmm. with silver surfer yeah yeah, I'd be similar to you as well. You know, I, I, I defend it. It's just another chapter of this five-chapter book. Um, there's there's only five, and there's one more to go. Uh, it feels like there is a now even more pressure on the defenders, the best defense, to make a lot of this stuff make sense. Sometimes with tie-in books to big series, what you find is you've read the whole thing, and actually only one panel of the entire book mattered. I think in this book there's a little bit more than in Namor, because Namor was just that last page that really mattered. There wasn't much else that happened throughout the book other than just setting up who the Namor character is and what's going on in his world but I don't know whether that matters to the best defense yet until we get to the final book yeah in this case at least we got to see some kind of future vision of the defenders going up against this enemy we had some talk about the cosmic train yeah exactly and we had that moment at the end where his board disappears off into the galaxy or into the universe possibly to land with Namor but um, but we'll see more of that in the next issue so that's fine and that's grand and I'm hoping that this kind of anniversary issue where it brings all of the defenders together has brought in some silver surfer fans who've read this book and really enjoyed it for their fandom because again you can't just service new people all the time that's what ruins some other books in the past as well so hopefully the silver surfer fans really found something to enjoy in here as well i for one as with john i really enjoyed the artwork and i'm looking to see the four characters and the four storylines tie together in the next issue and final issue yeah absolutely which we'll be going into directly after this hope you're still enjoying being with us for The Defenders, The Best Defense? I know I am. Mm-hmm. Yes, the fifth and final issue is Defenders, The Best Defense by Al Ewing, Joe Bennett, Belladino, Bravo, and Dono Sanchez Almira. I am one of your hosts, John. Yes, I'm your other host, Derek, in case you've forgotten with our little gap in music there. Another week has gone past for us as we waited for the final issue of Defenders, The Best Defense to be released. We've recorded all these uh, episodes separately and we're putting them all together for you to listen to when you're sitting down with all five of the books. 
I have to say, I am so glad this is the final issue because this is a fantastic <laughs> it's issue. Great, it's great, isn't really it? good. I think any kind of problems that I'd mentioned in some of the other issues, things like the Namor uh, story being really standalone and the Silver Surfer book being quite standalone as well, isn't it? Really resolved in this final issue. I've really enjoyed reading this one. Yeah, definitely. I, this was uh, absolutely a celebration of the Defenders yeah. and these four disparate people, not really connected, kind of almost, you feel like they're working against one another. There's, <laughs> right. there's almost that tension between them. Um, and it's just so good. It really beats that smug Avengers stuff, uh, <laughs> hands down as far as I'm concerned. Um, and in fact, we do have a nice little, uh, skitty reference to, uh, the Defenders and I think the Avengers as well. So Definitely. really nicely done. Uh, and it just also, Given our little interlude, it says, welcome back, fellow Defenders and the Supremes. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Right, let's get into it the way we've been doing all of the books so far. Let's get into the story. Yes, this is Defenders, The Best Defense, where it brings all the four previous issues together into the best defense with Namor, Doctor Strange, the Immortal Hulk, and the Silver Surfer coming together. This issue was written by Al Ewing, who as we mentioned, wrote the first issue, The Immortal Hulk, The Best Defense, and is writing The Immortal Hulk series at the moment as well. So he brings together all these four disparate defenders together. Um, And so, yeah, it comes here to this with the interludes being the main story. We see uh, who that ghostly figure was um, with the, the squid or the octopus legs uh, it was Nebulon. Yes, yes, a very famous uh, former villain of uh, of the Defenders. Um, he's been seen right back to like issue number eleven of the Defenders many many years ago. He was created, so quite cool that they've brought him back out of retirement here. I love that they refer to him in the opening sentence uh, at the beginning of the book as the murderer in the bedsheet. So we weren't yeah. wrong. He did seem to be covered in a bedsheet for all of those four issues, but. I really like that they pulled it all together uh, into the main storyline at the beginning of this book with the voiceover from Stephen Strange explaining exactly who this is and exactly what's going on. Um, All we saw throughout the previous books, as we've mentioned, is just that one pager of these interludes of this villain murdering uh, people on board the train. We didn't even know it was people on board the train. No, exactly. Exactly. So we we hear that Nebulon, covered in his bedsheet, killing is killing throughout the cosmic train is working his way up to the driver to an extent slaughtering those in control to make sure that none of them can change the course of the cosmic train's destination which is planet earth yes um so this train feeds uh from planets through its furnace to keep it moving throughout space mm-hmm. uh, and this is um a really interesting connection because nebulon is effectively being um, manipulated or controlled through uh, our two kitty cats, uh, the, these leopard-like creatures who are trying to effectively repay a debt that they had with a, a classic Doctor Strange villain, Mephisto. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically what we learn here is that, you know, souls in the netherworld, you know, in... In heaven, hell, the underworld, in purgatory, are traded like a currency or can be. All yes. these different um, 
people like the kitty cats like mephisto trade in these souls and these two characters are controlling nebulon because they need to pay off a massive soul debt uh to mephisto uh the two leopard headed soul traders as you were kind of sounds like there should be a bit of blues going on here um but they want to destroy earth in order effectively to flood the soul market with cheap human soul currency in order that they can sell back to mephisto clear their debt but at a profit profit. exactly (laughs) that's really cool i love interesting i love the two uh, leopard headed soul traders and now john i'm not sure because you're a little bit younger than me and you're not from ireland originally i'm not sure whether you remember the time when christa berg wasn't just the singer of a lady in red he had another (laughs) song which was a song called spanish train i do remember that mystical song about the battle between heaven and hell and trading of souls on board a train going uh, between two cities in Spain. And surprisingly, this is what this story reminded me of. I don't know whether Al Ewing has ever heard that song, but this whole idea of the balance between souls of heaven and hell on a train traveling through space, it just had a bit of Spanish train in, in my head for me. I think it's certainly Christoberg inspired. It has mm-hmm. to be. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just either that or, you know, it is creatively has bloomed, blossomed, evolved, developed yeah. separately in two different spaces. And there is this, uh, lovely synergy between Al Ewing's The Defenders, The Best Defense mm-hmm. and uh, Christoberg Spanish train. And just to say to our fellow defenders, just to remind you, there was a time when Christoberg was cool if you were Irish. Right? <laughs> he was up there Never. with like you two as being that kind of cool. Oh so God. I'm not so weird. <laughs> so I'm not being too weird, but I do understand what he's like now. But anyway, moving on away from Christoberg, we have Silver Surfer being the first to arrive um, to take on this villain of the defenders. He arrives with Galactus. The reason that both of them have arrived is because, well, Galactus had a plan for the train, which was not to destroy Earth. It had a completely different plan, and Nebulon has taken over. So these two, these two characters, Surfer and Galactus, feel like they can beat Nebulon and take the control of the of the train back. They're not there because of the other defenders, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, but we see here Nebulon kind of he he's got his tentacles. Uh, into the the brain of the the driver of the train and he's controlling him keeping him on course and and we have the silver surfer try and battle i love the fact that he kind of gets sucked against one of the suckers of the tentacles mm-hmm. uh, so really really good and um, yeah galactus isn't really involved here at all it yeah. is the silver surfer uh, and ultimately then we get the more arrive on the board on Toomey, or as I keep calling it, Toomsy, because we do have Mumsy as well uh, <laughs> from the two leopard soul traders as mm-hmm. well. So that does answer the question that we have at the end of the Silver Surfer book. We weren't sure whether the, whether Toomey, the board, had gone off to save uh, the creature on the planet left behind by Silver Surfer, or whether it had gone off to Submariner. Of course it had. We'd seen it in the Moore, uh, in the Moore's book. We'd seen Toomey arrive to save him. So, of course, that was going to be the connection. There was no way they were going to go back to the story in the silver surfer it makes a lot of sense uh, but that's why namor has been propelled to return to silver surfer because he's on the board as well so these two join up together which is quite cool and on the other end of the universe back on earth we have steven convincing immortal hulk to yes. travel with him uh, really interesting the way that he does it he effectively is saying to him that 
if Hulk doesn't go with him, well, that's the end of the Earth. No matter what they do, if they destroy the train or if the train hits Earth, it's the end. Because if the train doesn't hit Earth, Dormammu's going to take over the planet and kill all life there, just like we saw in Doctor Strange's book. And he offers Hulk a resolution to his problem. He offers offers Hulk a way to get rid of the demon that's consuming him and Bruce Banner and turning him into the immortal Hulk, which is quite, you know, a nice a nice touch. It's one of those really old school things where Banner reaching out to a friend to try and cure him of the monster within. Well, now it's not curing of the monster within. It's curing both of them of the demon inside. Yeah, absolutely. And they head off to travel to the train just in time whilst the Silver Surfer and Namor have been battling uh, Nebulon. But Nebulon has managed to separate um, Namor from Toomey. Mm -hmm. And so Namor has effectively come back to his mortal self. He's no longer protected by the Silver Surfer's board uh, and is, is moving through space. Silver Surfer is... The inner quandary effectively, uh, stop Nebulon, stop this train. Although he doesn't know that whatever his actions are at this moment in time, it will still mean that the earth is destroyed. Yeah. Um, that is only the knowledge of Stephen Strange. He has seen this future, uh, in, in that sense. He knows what needs to be done, but the Hulk arrives and the Silver Surfer effectively in this quandary goes, should I go after my friend Namor or should I battle uh, Nebulon and save the Earth? And he gets no choice in it. Um, <laughs> instead, he is flung after Namor by the Hulk who picks up Toomey to use as a weapon on Nebulon effectively. I think this is absolutely hilarious. One of my, one of the funniest moments, especially because it arrives <laughs> just after the leopard skin traders are, have their faces eaten by Hulk and return to their original form, leaving the bodies of, of the leopard skin, uh, traders behind. Um, it just has a bit of a sense of humor to it, you know, really does. And what we it? saw from the Immortal Hulk book is, He's quite a serious character at the moment. He doesn't seem to have that much humor running through his book. So quite interesting here that we have this moment for Hulk where he just grabs Surfer, throws him out into space, like as if he's some kind of baseball, and then uses um, Toomey the board as a bat, effectively. It's <laughs> just quite funny. I was wondering until we saw the end of the book whether he bent uh, the Silver Surfer's surfboard uh, on the head of Nebulon because you see a little moment where the board is kind of at the top end of it, it's kind of bent from the impact of smacking off this gigantic beast. It could very well have <laughs> but done, yeah. we do have Silver Surfer on the board at the end of the book as well, so that's okay. But, I mean, yeah, I, again, the the leopard skin traders, that, those few panels were... Uh, the Hulk is effectively beating up the, the leopard <laughs> and then he eats one of their faces because they've just talked about eating the faces of their sort of prey mm -hmm. in terms of, uh, the, these souls. It's kind of like, um, it's just really good. And we get a, a classic mumsy line from a petrified leopard soul trader. Um, but yeah, really, really good. They are, um, then, take on kind of an ash not an astral form but they take on their spirit form and yeah. go to the aid of nebulon as well to kind of sort of power him up again mm -hmm. <laughs> in effect um and with this though the train is on course to destroy another planet before it hits earth and really interesting this is where it ties into the namor issue really well is that it turns out that this place is the the planet vodan where namor had visited and it is actually a a water planet it is just water and it's really interesting uh because obviously this is a planet full of atlanteans and i really didn't understand this from reading the the namor issue actually that mm -hmm. 
I thought this was still on Earth. Um, he had just simply gone, say, you know, down into the dark recesses of the ocean on Earth uh, and come across the Vodan. Uh, I didn't realize that, in effect, the the route he had taken uh, was through a portal in the ocean to an entirely different planet. This was really good, and I think it tied it nicely to the Namor issue. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's a little more of a connection here now, uh, and so I, I really liked that. Yeah, it was definitely a really shocking moment in the book when he throws the former king or the now dead king uh, into what he thought was going to be the atmosphere outside of the sea. And then he ends off in space with them and both of them dying effectively in space until uh, Namor was saved by the board arriving. I know what you mean. It just comes as a bit of a surprise that it was actually a planet that the Vodans were on. But yeah, really like the tie in here. I think it's a really good idea. Um, but they have to save this planet from being destroyed by the train as well as Earth now. Uh, that's what Namor has committed to do. So they get the new queen, Kata, to sacrifice her life for her people in order to power up Silver Surfer enough so they can move the planet out of the way. Yeah, Silver Surfer will actually kind of uh, jump this planet through a wormhole out of the way of the cosmic train mm -hmm. um, because it's been knocked off uh, its axis, off its spin, and, and it's moving out. So actually, in that moment before Queen Kator um, sacrifices herself, she is concerned because obviously the, the planet is losing all its energy, all its heat, and they're going to freeze to death. Yeah. Um, and she's there with her council. But in order to effectively space shift uh, this planet to a um to another system where there is a sun that will restore the 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 ocean planet uh, to liquid uh, rather than a solid frozen mass of ice then um the silver server uh, needs to be energized and this is done through the electricity that the queen has and she's kind of tricked into using it uh, in a sense as well by no more mm -hmm. and um he is the one that proposes that he will do it ultimately and um, and she's is still angry about obviously the death of her father uh, the seeming uh, betrayal by Namor because she was going to ally with him. And so uh, this is kind of interesting. He gets her to take on this sacrifice uh, by herself for her people. And I love the fact that the Silver Surfer is not impressed at all by this mm. um, and ultimately feels completely used by Namor. Um, you know, he's like, did you know that this she was going to do that? Is, was this your plan all along? And again, I think this is one of the nice elements for me of the Defenders, um, is that sometimes, you know, this grouping really does seem at odds with one another. Yeah, yeah. Um, it feels more like bickering kids who are not, um, uh, at ease with one another at all, kind of slightly distrustful of one another, but ultimately the team up works. Um, and this is obviously long before something like Civil War, say, in, in the Marvel comics, but, you know, for very different reasons, uh, they are um, slightly hesitant around one another, but it ultimately works. And the planet is moved and the planet is saved. Mm -hmm. Um but with Namor effectively almost taking control of this planet then, uh, being seen as the rightful king or heir to the queen, um, you know, 
So effectively, he's pulled off a coup yeah. uh, by using the Silver Surfer and making sure that the rightful queen, Queen Kator, uh, has killed herself in a uh, meaningful sacrifice, but nonetheless for the benefit of Namor and his war with the surface um, in terms of building his allies. Yeah. So really nicely done, Namor. This is really <laughs> proper Machiavellian uh, in, in its way, and Silver Surfer is not happy. And I, I do kind of like the fact that it ties back into where the Hulk gives the Silver Surfer no choice as well. Yeah. And I think, as you said, Derek, right at the end of this story, we see Galactus really not caring that Silver Surfer has been used in this way. And he goes, well, is this not what I uh, use you for exactly so now get on with it and be my herald kind yeah. of thing galactus um, basically just says this is another lesson for you isn't it you know it's like it, no sympathy is all that give, is given to him um you know again to the point as well namor isn't here to save the earth from being destroyed by the train he's there because silver surfer's board saved him and returned to the silver surfer returned to galactus and it just so happens that Vodan is a planet close by that's about to be taken over by the train or about to be eaten by the train effectively. So he saves the planet Vodan so that he can get the followers to follow him. You know, he's not there to join the defenders in their act of defending the earth. It's, it's yeah. an interesting idea. And I like that it plays right into the manipulative spoils brat of Namor that he always is you know there's that's a nice little moment as we get to the wrap-up of the book but the great thing is is that this movement of the planet that the reason why Stephen Strange you know brought the Hulk along effectively the Hulk was being used to um mislead Nebulon and um, Hulk has also managed to send Silver Surfer after Namor onto the planet Vodan and in moving this planet that small ripple in space has itself um, changed the course of the cosmic train so that it doesn't hit the Earth mm -hmm. and it's not being consumed by the cosmic train Earth. So in both senses, the Earth has been saved. Yeah. Um, and, I, and this is really nice because it, it kind of uh, wraps up everything. Nebulon is kind of what's going on, you know, and... He, Stephen Strange is just, this was kind of a magician's trick in a sense. Yeah. This is the reveal that this train has now shifted. It's no longer on course to Earth, and your leopard friends are not going to get their souls. And hence, Mephisto comes uh, to this moment as well in a, a great moment to punish Nebulon for failing to bring back those souls that he owes. I do really like the jokey bit of writing that Al Ewing has in here where Stephen, having revealed his plan and having won effectively, turns around to Nebulon and says, the Earth is now just a picturesque view coming up on our left as the train passes by. Uh, nice little jokey moment there. Yeah, really, really good. Um, I must say, I, I, I also like the little throwback to, you know, medical uh, Doctor Strange here with, um, he goes, a little high school science, you know, as uh, with this space jump of Verdun, he talks of Newton's third law where, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Mm -hmm. And hence we get this picturesque view of the solar system of Earth. Uh, so yeah, really nice, uh, little, little bit of writing there. I, I must say thought the writing here was peppered with some really good little bits of comedy, little kind of nods, uh, within this whole series. Yeah. Uh, back to, uh, you know, the history of different characters 
matches. So really nicely done, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And as we said, the wrap up here as Mephisto returns to punish Nebulon and the leopard skin uh, traders, he sends Hulk back to Earth. Now, Stephen does plead with him to try and help Hulk find a cure, but Mephisto says, actually, it's someone much more powerful than me that's in there, which is quite interesting. So that's setting up the future storylines of the Hulk uh, coming up in his book. Um, we also have another bit of a setup here for Stephen Strange still being alive, but nobody knows that he's there. He's now being sent into one of the circles of hell by Mephisto for eternity. Or until Stephen Strange's plan works out. <laughs> yeah, there's a really nice little knowing wink and smile yeah. from Stephen Strange uh, whilst in uh, the circle of hell for eternity. You know, mm-hmm. Mephisto thinks that this is his moment. He has finally got the better of Stephen Strange. But just the little wink, the little smirk from, from Stephen Strange. I have a cunning plan. Yeah, <laughs> excellent stuff. And of course, the, the little nod as well to the Defenders here is that, as Namor says, another exciting non-team-up for the Defenders. Let's all have shawarma sometime. <laughs> Top quality stuff. Well done, Namor, you arrogant prince. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For our long listening fellow defenders, uh, you may also remember that the reason why John probably laughed loudest at this moment is because his least favorite <laughs> of the post credit scenes ever put on film for all oh, of the MCU yeah. is the shawarma scene. Yeah, hated it. <laughs> Weirdly, even though we all loved it, John absolutely hated it. So to see Namor slagging it off in defense of the defenders was just a great moment. Where they are a non-team up. Yeah, it, it's brilliant. Loved it. Excellent, excellent. Um, I really can't explain as well why I don't like that shawarma thing. I just think it's the smugness of it. Uh, <laughs> maybe the slight kind of... Um, jokiness i I don't know i really cannot explain it (laughs) i have no idea either but anyway uh, let's move on to our second and other point on this one we have the artwork in this book Uh, the pencils in this book were done by joe bennett who's the regular artist on immortal uh, hulk with writer al ewing um the inker was belladina bravo uh, who worked on legion this year and phoenix resurrection um the colors on it were dana sanchez almera it was the colors for the immortal hulk uh, the best defense as well so um really interesting styles here that we see in this book and i have to say if i didn't say it before at the beginning of this book i am definitely reading some immortal hulk if this is the type of artwork that's in the immortal hulk yeah big time and the writing from al ewing as well this sounds like it's the book of the year to me um and yeah. without even reading a page of it it makes me want to read read more of it i love the style that joe bennett u- uses throughout this battle on the train and all the things that are going on the way he has they're almost like um Polaroid photographs or photographs just sitting on top of each other at different angles to show the dynamism of what's going on in all of the scenes. Almost every page, when you're reading it in guided view on digital, as we read all of our comics, unfortunately, without a local comic book store here, um, when you read it there, you don't notice it. When you step back and look at the full pages, each individual page is done differently. You know, some of them, it's like a full page turned on its side slightly just to kind of represent that you're seeing it dynamically. It's a beautiful style from all three of these artists. Yeah, it's the, the artwork from start to finish here in this issue is quite frankly, phenomenal. It's really colorful. It's vibrant. It's dynamic. It's a great look um, as well, a great style. I think, as you say, the panels, there's ones where it looks like the panels are fanned out rather mm-hmm. than just simply in this, you know, at right angles to one another. Um, even with the splash page with Mephisto, such a 
epic um, look and, and you have panels going down the side showing this conversation between Mephisto and Stephen Strange. Mm-hmm. So good. I, I think as well the, the artwork of the Silver Surfer connected to Namor who's also <laughs> um, silver. Really nicely done. Um, so good. And again, it's as we've said for the Doctor Strange, you know, this cosmic magical i mean this has all of it it's not only just like on earth yeah it, it's it's a cosmic uh issue it's a magical issue and you can go wild and i think they do here and it is gorgeous yeah. absolutely gorgeous if you're going to be the defenders you're going to have to be you know everywhere from the desert to the ocean to space you know it has to be everything they threw it all in here fantastic work and yes the ridiculous and sublime image of of the Silver <laughs> Surfer connected to Namor. I forgot to even put it into our notes, but a fantastic moment as the Surfer becomes the board. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Excellent, excellent stuff. And again, we've mentioned the covers all the way throughout these issues done by Ron Garnier and, and Richard Eisenhove. Uh, a really good cover again of all four of the defenders on the front of this book. But I don't think there's going to be any doubt in our final point. We'll give it over to you, John. Do you defend this issue, defenders? The best defense. Oh, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. Yes, <laughs> I give this five mumsies out of five. And maybe five terrified leopard mumsies out of five, indeed. <laughs> uh, this was, like, a great wrap-up for this uh, story. It coalesced those four issues of, of the Immortal Hulk, Doctor Strange, Namor, and the Silver Surfer together into a really good coming together of these four disparate groupings i say coming together i say that quite lightly because they kind of were two groups of two um and i loved how um they came together working up in a non-team kind of way slightly at odds with one another uh you know linking uh the namor storyline in here the silver surfer storyline and of course i think the overarching storyline that we have seen through the immortal hulk and through the doctor strange issue i think it was just a really really kind of perfect um wrap up of those four issues into the final part of the storyline i think you know looking at it it's kind of that's how you do it yeah. uh, it was really good i like the fact namor was sneaky i like the fact that silver surfer felt betrayed even though um no one really cared in the end um i like the fact that you know despite their difficult relationship stephen strange trying to um help out banner and the hulk uh but obviously it's with mephisto um i like the kind of slight arrogant wink of uh stephen strange the at the end that even though mephisto thinks he has probably won um he hasn't and of course it, it's really nice having um nebulon you know this old defenders uh antagonist coming back in this final issue as well. So I absolutely do defend this issue of Defenders, the best defense. Excellent. I'm not even sure if Silver Surfer and Namor know that Doctor Strange was even involved in this story. Well, that's line. true. Hulk just appears out of nowhere and starts punching things. I'm not sure whether they ever got any moments together with Doctor Strange throughout this book. I'll have to have a quick read back on it. Um, yes, a really excellent issue. I loved the Defenders, the best defense, um, an excellent ending to this and did, as I said at the beginning, did resolve some of the issues that we had about the other stuff. I didn't know, for example, that there's no currently running Namor storyline. So, of course, if you're going to get the opportunity to work with him as a character, you're going to give him a big book 
that's about him. I didn't know that Silver Surfer doesn't have a currently yeah. running book. So, of course, if you're going to be working with him, you're going to give him his own big storyline. Their stories get continued on in The Invaders, number one for Namor, which is where he teams back up with Winter Soldier and Captain America, or at least works in some sense against them, as he probably would, uh, which is a reason for the reference in Namor, the best defense to the invaders team up in, in World yep. War II, which is quite cool. Uh, the Silver Surfer's storyline will continue in Guardians of the Galaxy. So again, not a continuation of the Silver Surfer, but he's going to be another antagonist or protagonist in the Guardians of the Galaxy. So, um, so we'll see those characters again in future, but they won't have their own comics. So I'm kind of glad now, despite some of the comments that I made during the Silver Surfer book, I'm glad for Silver Surfer fans that they got a Silver Surfer story during this series. Excellent stuff. As for the other ones, I'm definitely going to go and check out some Immortal Hulk. There's 10 issues so far in Al Ewing's run on Immortal Hulk. I'm definitely going to check out some of those, see what's, see what he's got going on over on that side. I've always liked the Hulk in, in some senses. And of course, if you've been following our comic book coverage on Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast, you know our main character that we follow is Doctor Strange, and he's coming up on his 400th issue, which is issue number 10 of the current run, legacy issue number 400, coming out at the end of January, which will be one of our next comic books that we'll be covering here. Yes, and that is by Mark Wade and Jesus Sayers. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly really want to catch Immortal Hulk as well. And to be honest, I'm kind of intrigued by the invaders uh, for for some weird reason. And I think it's probably down to the 1960s American sci-fi uh, TV show, The Invaders, uh, as well. Interesting. Yes. A Quinn <laughs> Martin production, no less. Um, but, uh, yes. No connection. Plus no connection either. whatsoever. So I'm kind of name plus, yeah, this idea of Winter Soldier, Captain America, and then... No more. Um, that kind of gets me intrigued. So, uh, might see about having a, a, a nosy at that as well. But I think with that, it is another exciting non team up from Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast. Mm-hmm. And of course, we will all head off to get some Christmas turkey together, I suppose, at this time of year. Yeah. Um, and maybe a bit of shawarma as well. It does taste nice. <laughs> maybe. Maybe a turkey curry uh, just after mm, Christmas Day. Yummy. Um, happy holidays to all of our fellow Defenders. This is our holiday edition of uh, Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast. We may be back before the new year, but possibly not. Uh, our next podcast, we were hoping it was going to be Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, see us, if you can, in cinemas before we get to talk about it unfortunately it's probably going to be new year's before we release that episode and then early in january or sometime in january we're going to be getting our next tv show on netflix we're going to be getting the punisher returning for season two on netflix and we'll be talking about every episode of that show as usual absolutely fellow defenders and the supremes have the best defendy christmas ever uh, and we will speak with you again soon in 2019 yes and thanks for all of your support during this our biggest year of defenders tv podcast most podcasts that we've ever released in one year and it's been lots of fun yeah absolutely thank you so much everyone uh, as always it is a pleasure speaking with you speak to you again in 2019 happy holidays happy holidays bye bye <laughs> Hello there, fellow defenders. I am one of your other hosts, John. Yes, we are with the Tab Original. Yeah, drink. <laughs> Tab. Does anybody yeah. remember Tab? 
Uh, but we do see Bruce Wanner. But we do see Bruce Banner. <laughs> Bruce Wanner. And as for the other ones, I'm definitely checking out some Immortal Iron Fist. And, of course, Mortal Iron Fist. See, I kind of thought that I would say that at some point. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs>